0: Greetings, everyone. This is Christopher Messina coming at you from the Messy Times studio. We are delighted today to have a special guest all the way from the other side of the equator. Kyra Tarr joins us from uh, her home outside of Cape Town in South Africa. She is an experienced student of journalism and travel writer. Uh, The irony of which during this pandemic uh, will not be lost on any of you. Uh, But she has joined us to give us uh, some insights into life in South Africa, what life has been like uh, uh, since, the, uh, since the apartheid regime ended. Uh, little background, uh, I was there uh, when Kyra was born right after apartheid ended. Uh, so I've got a little bit of perspective uh, on that, but you know, we're gonna open that up to, to her. So Kyra, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so, so much for having me, it's, it's a pleasure. And uh, where would you like me to dive in?
0: Well, you know, you've gotten a sense, you know, the mandate that we created at Messy Times is that we promised to cut through the noise and lies and bring uh, truth and clarity to our listenership. So, you know, what are the things that are top of mind for you and your generation in in South Africa today? Uh, You know, what do you, what's most important? What are you thinking about? What's the good things? What are the bad things? The floor is yours. And we'll we'll dive in from there.
1: Okay. Well, I think like you mentioned now, um, I was born in 95, which is actually considered the born free generation in South Africa. And it was definitely a time of you know, great optimism. Uh, we were known around the world as the rainbow nation and that spirit kind of came to a bit of a, it dampened a bit towards uh, Thabo Mbeki's presidency um, he was Nelson Mandela's. Uh, how, what is the word in English? Yes, thank you. I apologize. Um, I've been speaking a lot of Afrikaans in my day to day life, so <laughs> my English is a bit rusty. Um, you know, and from there, we started to a few blips. Um, there was obviously the AIDS denialism, and uh, it started to become apparent that not only is South Africa was a wonderful success story of the transition into democracy but we are also an African nation Um, and you know you don't want to use the word failed state but in today's context I certainly think it would be applicable. Uh, We have youth unemployment of in the age bracket between 15 and 35 our youth unemployment is 55% you know so as a young person going into the job market i knew that it was going to be a challenge to find work and i don't know if american youth sort of leave college or university or school or whatever you would call it knowing what a challenge it's going to be to find work um, and you know i was fortunate enough to be picked up by a big media house in Africa. And not not only two years later, um, the pandemic hits and we were all retrenched, you know. So now you're 25 and you've already been retrenched. That's just sort of on a a global spectrum that's pretty bleak and depressing. But add to the mix all the other challenges we were facing previously as a country, um, some of the highest tax rates in the world, uh, weak currency, A high cost of living, um, plenty of crime, which obviously comes with having an unequal society, you know, the more unequal, the more crime. Um, And it makes it hard to be optimistic, um, which is why, you know, before we started recording, we were busy talking about how many young people are leaving South Africa to seek greener pastures elsewhere.
0: I got a quick question, uh, because yeah. failed state is certainly an, an apropos description, sadly. Yeah. Uh, having you know worked around the world and seen a lot of things that work and, and what don't. And also, I think it's very interesting um, to be able to share that uh, here mm-hmm. real uh, in, in, in real time, because I think this is just true of humanity in general. People are mainly ahistorical. And so most Americans will not know that 100 years ago, Venezuela and Argentina had better na- better sovereign credit and stronger economies the United States do right now. So people take uh, American prosperity for granted. They ought not mm-hmm. to, uh, anything can happen. And and, and since so South Africa was a great example of that. Um, yeah, There were major problems with apartheid obviously, but in the 60s, the Rand was stronger than the pound and the dollar. Uh, and yes. now it's what, 12 to the US dollar now or so, or?
1: Almost 15 Rand yeah. to the dollar. Wow.
0: I mean, it was when I lived in in South Africa, I was there from the day the government of national unity ended um, uh, and the RAND slipped from three and a half to the dollar to, I think, nine to the dollar in about four weeks, which made uh, everything feel like an open bar for an American spending dollars. (laughs) (laughs) So that was delightful. But uh, it was it was it was tragic for the domestic economy. And yeah. so, you know, what were, what were I, we, we've just touched on our show briefly um, that, in our opinion, uh, Nelson Mandela stepped aside uh, after one term because he didn't want to die in office and perpetuate the tragic African, uh, you know, governmental story of president for life. And I'm convinced, had he known that he would have lived longer, he would have stayed for a second term. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, okay. And, and Dublin Becky was, of course, you know, uh, as, as most people in America will not know, is the, you know, son of 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 um, you know, the struggle comrades who you know spent his his youth abroad in private schools uh, in in London uh, in Switzerland and being trained by by the Russians while the African national Congress was busy telling his peers uh who were back in South Africa to not go to school because that was only supporting the regime. So Tabo himself was a major problem uh, and then his successor <laughs> perhaps I'd like to touch on, on a successor, is that perhaps pointing to some of the seeds of what has become a failed state.
1: Would we like? Are oh, you speaking about Jacob Zuma? Obviously. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I don't know how much South African politics gets sort of distributed on American television, but I feel like zero, none, right? Nine. Okay. So, so enlighten
0: them. <laughs> tell tell us all about Jacob Zuma and his taxpayer-funded building out of his mansion. <laughs>
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. Um,
0: oh.
1: You know, Jacob Zuma, his stronghold in South Africa would be KwaZulu-Natal. Um, and that is where, as a very young girl, because my dad um, was a politician and he worked at the provincial legislature. So as a young kid, I remember going in to work with him. And I remember Jacob Zuma, clearly. Um, you know, he was nice. He was a nice guy. Lots of jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to love me because like I was a small white kid that could speak isiZulu. <laughs> <And>, um, <laughs> you Zulu. Know, not
0: a common talent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but who was to know what he would become? Um, there was in 2008 when Barack Obama became president in the United States. Um, was also the year we had the race to Polokwane, which is the place where the future of the ANC was decided. Would Tabombeki Mbeki continue leading them, or would they shift to Jacob Zuma? Because the ANC is actually behind them is the Tripartite Alliance, which is the trade unions, the African National Congress, and um, the KUSATU, Yeah, the, the Communist Party. So what a lot of people don't know about South Africa is that within the ANC there are these deep factions, you know. So that's where Jacob Zuma's leadership sort of took hold. He he was more the traditional African leader who stood for more African versus Western values, and um, it was all right until the depth and extent of his corruption became known. Um, one of the biggest Running jokes in South Africa were was the um, upgrades to his home in a place called Nkandla, and um, you know he'd used taxpayers' money to build this elaborate, huge mansion and um, and you know cascading pools. And when the taxpayers asked, you know, why do you need a swimming pool? Then the answer was, no, it's not a swimming pool. You know, it's it's for fires. If there's a fire, it's our fire pool. <laughs>
0: One of the best uh, answers in the history of world politics. Yeah. We'll give him credit. Yeah. Phenomenal answer. Fire safety. <laughs> Fire safety in the crawl. <laughs> um,
1: but just more than that, like the division that he's, that he sowed amongst South Africa's people, you know, pitching. We are such a diverse country with so many incredible um, cultures and, you know, people coming from Different walks of life. And he turned our diversity from a strength into almost a weapon um, that he could use to divide and to sow um, discontent. And that discontent has grown and grown into something much uglier. And, you know, the Pandora's box that he opened, I struggled to understand, you know, how are we going to put everything back inside? We probably shouldn't, you know, you should probably. Have it all out and talk through your differences but whereas in the states i think a lot of space is facilitated for political discussion not yeah facilitates political discussion we don't really have that um, it's a bit risky to talk about your political views it's a bit you know if you if you are employed by a certain employer you certainly shouldn't make your views known your
0: um, your warning your your comments are timely. And I'll I'll tell you why because unless you're sitting yeah. here in the states you don't you don't see it. Um, we 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 call that cancel culture now. For The last two years or so, people get fired from their jobs because of something their wife wrote on Twitter, or because of a comment they make that gets captured on film. So no, we're living that that reality here as well yes, for the very same reason that there's a party that likes to push divisiveness. And to magnify um, separate groups and their separateness, separateness in a way that, ironically, in the U.S., unlike in South Africa, those divisions are not very real. Right? There are, and it's hard for an American audience to understand. There are serious cultural and linguistic differences within South Africa yes. that do not exist here in the same in the same degree at all. There are no tribes left here except for the Native Americans, and they, they're. You know that, that's an ongoing problem we've had here for years, but they've got casinos now, and are a lot happier. Um, but I, I didn't want to interrupt, but it's an important point for our listeners to highlight. You know what you've seen is that change as Zuma decided to use the kind of the pol- identity politics is what we call it here to you know grow his own base, not in a way that fosters growth overall, but in a way that is a zero sum game that he wants more of a pie. Is that an accurate assessment?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think what's so interesting about what you mentioned about social media is that it kind of, you have to mean everything you've ever said on social media, even if it's 10 years later, you know? And um, yeah, I definitely think that social media has also been a tool in polarizing, you know, the the world, not only South Africa. um, And it makes you feel like, because obviously we discuss a lot of American politics here. Um, and a lot of people feel like if you don't like Trump, you have to love Biden or vice versa. You know, the one necessitates the other. And that's not the way it is. Like we are very nuanced, complicated creatures. So, yeah.
0: Well, the, the, Biden, the Biden unity government is one of its um, first acts. Uh, declared that the word nuance would be stricken from all dictionaries in America. So they're making progress. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, no,
1: I, um, I w- you know, you can say, I wish, I wish, but for so long, South Africa has lacked a unifying voice in our political landscape. Um, and
0: when do you think the last one was? When do you think the last? Political figure that actually had some degree of unifying moral authority. Who was that?
1: Well, yeah, I think that's quite self-explanatory. I think it's probably Nelson Mandela. Um, You know, he said he fights against the subjugation of black people and he fights against the subjugation of white people. Um, I think it's been a long time since we had a message like that. And I think we so desperately need it. in the time of such economic depression, where so many people have lost their jobs, and yet um, your public wage bill is at about 11.6% of your GDP, um, which is exponentially higher than, you know, developed countries.
0: We're gonna um, have to edit that out because the, the, the modern US Democrats are gonna think they're not charging nearly enough to the American taxpayers. surely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven percent! Wow, that's great. We can get that. Um, that's yeah. that's outrageous. So that's that's the public sector drain on the yes. economy, and they, of course, never get fired while they're laying everyone else off and telling them all to stay home because of this virus.
1: People are are starving and struggling to survive, but they're asking for increases every year, regardless. You know.
0: Well, of course, uh, the rand is slipping, and they can't afford the payments on their Mercedes. So, of course.
1: You've got it.
0: So you, you gotta feel for these public servants. It's hard. It's hard out there. <laughs> and these roads aren't gonna fix themselves, so they keep breaking axles. That costs a fortune to repair, gotta ship them from Germany. It's tough. It's tough. I understand why they need an increase.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> that's the thing about South Africa is that not only do you pay such high taxes, but every service that the government should deliver, you then need to through private means so if you want a quality uh, you know if you want to go into a sterile hospital theatre you need to go to a private hospital if you want your kids to have a good education you need to send them to a private school right. We have private security companies you know so we're paying these high taxes and then we pay again and how are you supposed to move forward I suppose when all you have no disposable income at the end of the month you know what kind of life is that to live? You're living, you're working just to survive. Um, and I'm obviously speaking from a very privileged position. Um, you know, being able to even consider something like immigration is a very privileged thing to be able to consider. So, you know,
0: we're gonna we're of- gonna have to edit out the word privilege. That's a that's a trigger warning here in the states. So, <laughs> but no, that is, is absolutely true. I mean, this is part of the major headache. That we pointed out in a few different places, not in, in certainly in the United States, is that this the the, the top down, very heavy taxation promise that the state's going to take care of you, a never works out as centuries of empirical evidence has proven. Right, there's nothing nearly so excellent at lifting people out of poverty as free enterprise and free choice. It's right? so weird to know that, um, but you you put that very eloquently, right? And you're it's you're coming in, in a smaller country. Um, with, a, with a lower GDP, but that exact same thing, the dynamism and what we hope for from, from young people, of course, is that they've got the energy that old farts like me don't have anymore to push forward and make things happen and grow the economy. But if you're held down by a stultifying state and a massive tax apparatus that robs you of that ability, um, even for someone that has education ability uh, and, 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 and has the option, to seek seek uh, egress, it's hard, and th- you, you well know that everyone that will be left behind has far fewer opportunities, uh, which just you just creates this death spiral of a of, of a national disaster. Um, I understand your reluctance to call it a failed state, but if things don't change, it's not looking good. Um, and, and so, how many of your cohort are focused on? I've got to go somewhere else to make a better life versus I see a real opportunity here, no matter how hard it is.
1: You know, that's the thing. Um, In chaos and disarray, you probably have scope for the most opportunity. You know, if everything runs perfectly, that's great, but there's not much to do. There's not much to fix. Business opportunities probably do lie in the chaos that surrounds us. but few people have the grit to kind of tough it out. And uh, if I think in the context of my friends, I probably about a good 60% have already left. Mm. And uh, these are, like you're saying, these are the educated people. These are the people who probably were there to stay, could help dig us out of this hole we find ourselves in, but it's not made easy. because of all the things that you would have to sacrifice and I think that's the guilt that comes in do you stay and do you make a difference and do you help and do you get you know like stuck in and like these are your fellow countrymen this is your home this is your context Um, so if you had to ask me emotionally do I want to leave definitely not I love South Africa
0: I, I, love, I never wanted to leave. But I wasn't even born there. I only lived there for a few years. So I understand the pull.
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, it's this, you're stuck in limbo of, do I leave and create opportunities for myself wherein I can maybe come back later? Um, or do I stay and accept, and, and accept you know? Um, they say that, The best way to be happy is to not fight the flow too much so should I just abandon any hope of the government doing anything for me should I just make sure I have a generator so that when the electricity goes off I can power my house Um, I'm gonna send my kids to a private school I'm going to work remotely for an American company which by the way lockdown has changed a lot I think people realize that you can work for an American company from South Africa, Anywhere. which is right. yeah, exactly yeah. which is also great. I mean, earning dollars is fantastic. Um so yeah, the the That's how America's
0: gonna start feel going to start to feel about Euros. <laughs> very shortly. Yeah, no, and you, you make an interesting point, right? And of course the balancing act, of course, is that still presupposes some degree of stability in the state maintaining some degree of order. Um, yeah. You know, I was as thinking poignantly of a good friend of mine I went to university with. Um, his family was Egyptian, and they made that very decision in the '60s. They, yeah, they were they were of the they were of the property class, right? But socialism was coming in like a hammer fist, um, mm-hmm. and they made the decision: Do we go abroad? Do we move to Europe? Do we move to the U.S.? Do we move to Australia at that time? Do we move to South Africa, um, or do we stay here and invest? And they thought, you know, the patriotic thing and the, and all the opportunity and all the chaos was to stay. Um, luckily they never became poor, but they lost a lot of money because with increasing taxation, increasing ridiculous regulation, like, you're not allowed to ever fire anybody. So the moment you hire someone, no matter how great they sound, they can literally go take a nap the afternoon after you sign the employment papers and you could never fire them. Right. So, um, there has to be some degree of freedom of, uh, accorded by the state, or you, you're you're always just tilting it. You're always just running into a brick wall, and so that's my fear when I look at choices, you know, for you to make out of South Africa. Mm-hmm. There has to be some degree of of a functioning utility in the government, or no matter what you do, it's it's all in vain, and that's that's one of the saddest things. Um, but then, so so the big chunk of of your compatriots do they all went to different places to Europe and North America and Australia or where did they go?
1: Yeah, um, very few went to the USA um, those that did they sort of do that brief yachting stint, you know, where you go to Fort Lauderdale and Yeah, huh. yachty for a while. Um, that's very popular because then you can come back home and buy yourself a um, house or a flat cash, you know, right but mostly London, mm-hmm. London and Sydney. Um, but those have also been people with um, call it visas, but when you get ancestral visas.
0: Oh, right, right, got
1: it. So Yeah, it's, it's strange. It's strange growing up with the expectation that you should leave um, if you can, you know, that kind of save yourself mentality, it's sad. Um, because, you know, people don't really want to. Um, But now, to add the fun cherry on top, there's a bill that's going through Parliament at the moment uh, whereby they want to expropriate people's property without compensation. And they say that it's expropriation of land without compensation. But if you go read the fine print of that legislation, it's not only limited to land, you know, it's limited to your house. It's limited to... The money in your private bank account, and um, you just wonder how far will a government that's completely bankrupt go to get money? What's left? What's left is pension funds yep. and private, private, private assets. And you know, for someone like me who is on the cusp of starting to build a life with my partner, you know, we're having those discussions. Like, do we want to have children? Um, you don't want to build. A life on a shaky foundation um or work for something to have it taken away and i think once private property is being vi- violated then like you said like socialism it's coming in it's coming in hot
0: <laughs> so well, i urge you to not leave the frying pan of south africa for the fire of america <laughs> that's coming here i mean it's, it's already happening um for different <laughs> reasons for different reasons but you know same sort of nonsense that you supposedly, yeah. if you've worked hard and saved and deprived yourself of something, you must therefore be sinful and we're gonna take it from you. Um, yeah. So that, that, that shares a common goal. Um, yeah, for, for those, those people who are not familiar with the history of Southern Africa, uh, uh, they tried this in Rhodesia, which became Zimbabwe. Uh, and uh, under that maniac who just refused to die, the man was incredible. when Mugabe land appropriation, he just took all the farms. Handed them out to his cronies, none of whom particularly cared about running a farm, so they didn't. And the nation went into a starvation spiral. But there was land justice, so that's nice. Um, And and I knew that, you know, there's certainly a bunch of parties in in South Africa that have been pushing this sort of aggressive, uh, you know, kick the farmer out, uh, which is code for kick the whites out uh, for a while, Uh, but they were never in the majority. But the fact that those ideas are now creeping into the mainstream. It's deeply disconcerting. It's a shame. Yeah,
1: absolutely and things like nationalizing minds and you know so and it's never worked which is what blows my mind like socialism they speak about it like a unique solution um as if it's unique as if it's ever worked as if this is you know something that has been come up with as the answer. It's let me get you the
0: happened. phone number of a young young congresswoman from the Bronx who babbles on and on about socialism. Now this time they're gonna get it right. I'd like you to have a chat with her. <laughs> she might listen to you since you're not an old white man.
1: <laughs> it's a reckless talk, you know. So
0: but they keep going on and on about it. Um and how how do, you know how do you see those people espousing those ideals of South Africa? You know what is their response? Because it's not even like the historical record. You can forgive someone in 1950, right? Where there was no internet, very little, you know, there are a couple of grainy pictures out of the Soviet Union. But like today, you could just point to Venezuela. You don't even need to go refer to anything historical. You can point to the current reality. And what is their response to that? When, when, when it's pointed out to them, this has never worked. Do they have an answer?
1: Um, I think that assumes you know, in the context of the broader population, it assumes access to information um, and education and an educated public, uh, which, as you know, South Africa, it's one of our main uh, issues or hurdles um, and has been since we became a democracy. Uh, we spend the largest portion of our GDP on education and yet our education system has gone backwards and hasn't stopped sliding.
0: You know. Why is that? What do you, what do you think the causes of that slide are?
1: Like a p- polite way would be a misallocation of funds. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> money that, um,
0: The more Mercedes for superintendents and less chalk in the schools.
1: Exactly. Um, which is to me the most grievous way in which a government could ever let its people down you know providing them with a matric we call it matric I don't know what when you call it what a high school diploma yeah, high
0: school high school diploma yeah um
1: that actually doesn't isn't worth the paper it's printed on um you know they think they're going entering a job market with something to their name and they aren't prepared for... I remember being in, in my first year of university and there were bridging courses to teach people how to use computers, you know, so in, when you're facing struggles like that, tackling sort of more complex issues like socialism um, and why it doesn't work, you know, t- trying to explain that to people who have nothing anyway, um, they have nothing to lose. Um, and here someone's promising the moon and the stars. So right. uh, I would probably also, if I if the positions were reversed, I would also be- It's a fun. miracle
0: that nothing changes. Uh, a, here in America, we, we have a phenomenon in, in really poorly run schools, called social promotion. Same thing, you've learned nothing, but the teacher certainly doesn't want to see your smiling face next year. So they give you a grade to move you on. Um, yeah. And I, I, one, I remember a great joke that was current uh, around the time you were born in South Africa uh, because Kosatu was making a lot of noise and there was a huge amount, there was a large influx of communist thought that went to the ANC. And so once the ANC won the next election, um, everyone told me that I needed to get a titanium umbrella to go outside and I said, why? I said, well, haven't you heard it's gonna be raining televisions and washing machines? <laughs> Never forget that, um, but that and, and there was. I remember seeing even then some of the flaws and how they were they were looking at changing the schooling system on a, on a provincial basis, and and even even during my time, uh, which is only a few years uh, living there, I remember there were already cases where people really hadn't hadn't had it explained to them what education meant. So okay. there were cases of you know, someone would rock up and, you know, sign up for college and then disappear. And they were told the college took four years and they'd come back after four years and demand their diploma. I mean, it happened a lot. It was bizarre, right? For for context of a system of education and gradual learning and comprehension and, and all of that. But clearly in some communities, no one had bothered to tell them that, you know, a diploma was something you earned, but they, but there was there was righteous rage. Like, but I paid my fees. Yeah, well, that's great. You paid your fees for the right to sit in the classroom and learn. And once you've yes. proven that, proven that you're capable of adequately understanding the knowledge imparted, then you get a degree to prove that. But um, it's 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 deeply problematic that any government has failed so badly. I mean, we have not to the same degree at all. But here in the U.S., at least half the states, run by, I have to say, left-leading Democrats, um, they've allowed the teachers unions to keep the schools closed through this entire Wuhan panic. There was never any need to close the schools, none, none at all, kids are not affected. But the teachers unions were allowed to shut down the schools. Now they claim it's virtual learning. It's nonsense, absolute nonsense. Only the best students ever in stable homes with internet connection, Actually, can actually use virtual learning, even they have some sub, subpar results. So here in ah, what used to be called the first world, I don't know what it is now—the like one and a half—it's um, a disaster. But in in a place like South Africa, where education, rightfully, the allocation of resources was is correct, but the misallocation is a travesty. And you know, were there some provinces, or some municipalities, or some communities that did this better than others? Or is it just uniformly a disaster? And and how how do people deal with that when there is a massive disparity of outcomes?
1: Yeah, no, well, obviously it it creates friction. Um, So we have a combined parliamentary and federal system uh, from national national government, each of the provinces are allocated funds um, and then they decide how they want to split up their budget. And you see in, in the provinces with the with the major cities, probably Cape Town, Johannesburg, and Durban, those are probably our, those are our most affluent provinces. Um, and Cape Town more so, or the Western Cape, which is one of our nine provinces, um, attracts the most foreign investment, attracts the most tourism, most tourists. Um, so I would say in the context of South Africa, you're probably looking at the Western Cape who's is doing the best. So much so that there's talk of a, a secession. What do you, you know, where yeah. you break away.
0: Absolutely, that's right.
1: <laughs> um,
0: we in Florida are big fans of this idea.
1: Right, <laughs> <no, yeah. laughs> different reasons.
0: Last free and state in America, but anyway. Maybe we'll form a union with it with the Western Cape. That'd be a phenomenal country. Yeah, <laughs> Similar absolutely. climates, good beaches, love of sailing. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on.
1: <laughs> yeah. So when you ask, are there differences? Very much so. Um, and I, I, that's such a people who come to South Africa. I don't know what their expectations are, but you have this developing country with very first world pockets in it, um, and I would definitely say Cape Town is one of those. Um, And then you're further reaching your more peripheral provinces like Malanga or Limpopo um, where school books don't get delivered to schools at all um, because of, I can't even tell you what the excuses might be. It could be, you know, the government's trucks aren't working or there are too many potholes, they can't actually access that town. Um,
0: I had to take a nap (laughs) for for Um, months. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, so there is. um, But I think what has caused this is that we no longer have constituencies wherein you elect your, counsel, your ward counsellor, you know, you can put a name to the politician that represents you, you know him, you've seen him in the supermarket. Um, if you have a grievance, you take it to him and he's personally accountable. Right. We've learned accountability because we now have a list system where people get randomly sort of allocated to a constituency that they might not have ever even been to in their lives. So... You know, the second accountability slips. I think everything else, you know.
0: So that's fair. So that's party-driven. So say the ANC wins a province, which they do many most of the time, and they just yeah. say, "Hi, you've been a good party, whatever uh, participant," and all of a sudden, you represent this town in the guy. Exactly. Oh, so, you've been there? No, I hear it's lovely. Are you going? No, it's dangerous, right? So. Um, and, and then that's just the paid position from the party. So their fealty is to the party, certainly not to the community and not even tangentially to the government.
1: Is yeah, that so we a fair could, way? But, you know, are we really? Um, the ANC, you get seats obviously in proportion to uh, your votes. So say you get 60% of the votes, which, you know, that would be terrifying for us. Um, but then you get 60% of the seats in parliament and you as the ANC go, okay, who are the top 60 people on our list? Boom, there you go. So, yeah.
0: And was that <laughs> always the case or did they change that system? it used to be that you ran for the role as a member of party or has it always been that way?
1: So, no, it was, um, my dad explained to me when he was um, in politics, he was voted into, uh, the provincial legislature um, as a ward council as a you know representing a certain ward, right? Um, and then from the province, they then elect the people they want to go and represent them in national parliament. So it was much more you know bottom up, exactly,
0: right? Truly, re- truly, at least more representative than we you currently have. Wow. So uh, it's fascinating. One one last question, I think, which might be very helpful. Um, if you had a magic wand mm. and could change two things about societal structure in South Africa, that would be like, wow, if those two things were fixed. I would have no reason to leave here, and I could see foresee a flourishing future.
1: Yes. Wow. Ooh, Wow. <laughs> um. I would, you know, firstly. How how do you because you're basically you're asking me, you know, how do you fix a broken a broken government and
0: a, a yeah, broken... well, what, what I mean, usually you think about what are the underlying major flaws that if remedied, if reversed, would mean that everything else would kind of have to fall in line behind it. And if such things exist, they may not
1: well education um if you know education is the root to everything um it's the path to people being able to build themselves up and build a life for themselves um so good education system for everyone um which then would alleviate your inequality and when that happens you know crime also tends to to drop so that would be the first and um at
0: least violent crime but white collar crime goes up so but you know it's fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: fair um so that's and um i would wish for us to have a leadership that we could be proud of you know south africans tend to do the best when we have a when we have a common goal that we're working for um in 2010 we hosted the soccer world cup and no one thought, you know, they were like, what are we going to do? It's going to be such a shambles and we're going to be the laughing stock of the world. And um, we pulled it off. And I think that feeling that we felt during that time was the closest I would have come in my <laughs> lifetime to what everyone felt, you know, with the Mandela Fourier and the post the 95 Rugby World Cup win. Right. Um so.
0: phenomenal. That was awesome. <laughs> that was great.
1: <laughs> were you there yeah
0: that was awesome that was <laughs> absolutely and also in 2010 uh, most americans will remember um a for those americans who don't know soccer is this game where you run around and kick a ball um but they also were introduced to the concept of the vuvuzela which <laughs> they had never because the people were adjusting the television sets because this weird irritating mosquito-like wine and they didn't know what it was and the announcers had to tell them no no that's all part of it <laughs>
1: Sorry, okay, you must leave with a <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
0: yeah. so education so that and that's a long-term yeah. fix uh, and, the, and is there a short-term fix that if you know you could just smack through a government policy and change how you know one thing is structured that would have a more immediate near-term fix yeah, as as yeah. from removing bills to just steal property because the government can't manage its own finances which is sort of the obvious one yes
1: well, I think what seems so simple, but, you know, what's frustrating at the moment is, you'll see something happen and you know that it's illegal. Um, but our judiciary has kind of collapsed to the point where, even if something is illegal, doesn't mean anything's going to happen. You know, he stole all that money. We know it, we can see it. The paper trail is there. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I. I- for um you know like good prosecution
0: (laughs) the the actual application of the rule of law so actually the enforcement of the laws that are on the books would be a would be a healthy start
1: we exactly we um we pride ourselves as south africans on our kind of lax approach to law and Mm -hmm. laws and i'm talking about the smaller ones like jaywalking or you know we love it. We think we are like the most gung ho people in the world. And we laugh at these anal Australians who need licenses to build tree houses.
0: <laughs> um, yep.
1: The reason Australia works the way it does or you know, states the UK is because people adhere to the rule of law. So, you know, maybe we need to be a bit more self-disciplined as a people.
0: That's, that's fascinating. I, I tell you what, um, I, I've had this discussion with a bunch of colleagues over the years that I'm one of the few uh, Americans that's, that's lived for a long period of time in, in both South Africa and Australia. And I, for, in the court of public opinion, um, I believe that the Australians got off the hook for basically what was apartheid, but they didn't call it that. And because they were isolated, they were able to control news flow, and they had no pesky thing like porous borders into Botswana, where ANC members could crawl across and tell them what's going on. So, the exact same sort of um, terrible, terrible racial based policies in both countries, and the Aussies managed to just skate free <laughs> because, uh, you know, largely speaking, because no one paid attention, um, and they do they did tend to follow the the, the laws more commonly which is strange you know having been you know descended from petty criminals who couldn't get away with it uh uh that, that that's interesting yeah well the best one, i i do remember that when i when i when i uh, lived in cape town one of the, my favorite jokes was you know um you know, how do you how do you like your perlimani and are stuck is the same way I like my eggs poached <laughs> <laughs> So, a well, little bit of low-level crime is good. It lets the pressure out. <laughs> it's it's, yes. it's important. You can't have the state be all seeing. That's terrifying. That's awful. But well, excellent. Well, I thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else that you that you think I've missed that uh, uh, a pr- primarily American and European audience would need to know about South Africa?
1: Well, I think after everything I've said, you know about what what's going wrong in the country, I think it's important to know how wonderful it is at the, at the heart of it. Um, I think if anything's going to save South Africa, if I can put it that way, are South Africans themselves. Um, I think we are a warm sort of people who've learned to laugh in the face of adversity and struggle. Um, so definitely don't, don't write, write it off or write us off um, we have a long way to go but i'm hopeful at the end of it and you know you've you've lived here you know what it's like so
0: paradise on earth
1: <laughs>
0: paradise on earth yeah but if i could if i could force a merger of um the western cape and florida i'd do that in a heartbeat i would never leave again
1: <laughs> well we look forward to seeing you here soon
0: Amen. Amen. Once, once flights Zoom, that'll be good news. Every, every The whole world's been on lockdown, this insanity. Um, clearly, some people are benefiting from it as part of, as we cover on our show all the time, we promise to tell you who's lying to you and who's benefiting from it. Um, this global insanity of a need to shut down over a statistically unfortunate seasonal virus, I think we'll go down in history as one of the weirdest things that humanity ever did, but topic for another day, uh, but it has certainly destroyed, you know, it is, it is has impacted, certainly young people really strongly for, you know, not able to go to school and people in your age bracket for just getting started, um, not only in South Africa, but in pretty much every country except for Florida and Sweden. Uh, there, there's been um, just a massive, just kind of this weird pause. Um, hopefully it will end shortly uh, and things will resume, but your optimism, yeah. your optimism is, is, is infectious and, and is delightful to hear after all, after all the developments uh, through the multiple presidents <laughs> that you've had in a parliament that functions less and less well.
1: <laughs> we, um, obviously, it, have, it won't happen I, if the private medical aids jump in, but I heard a, a news presenter say the other day that if South Africa continues vaccinating at the rate we're vaccinating at now, it's only going to take about 11 years for our whole population to be vaccinated. So. hope. <laughs> wow. <you> know, <laughs> if we're depending on the government alone, but you know.
0: No, that's, that's, well, that's, that's not a very effective rate. Uh, but the good news is, it seems to it seems to be dying out. And what's what's um, not just South Africa, but certainly here, we've been watching with. I don't know if amusement's the right f- f- term because it's been so, so societally destructive. But there's some people that just loved the power that this this virus gave them. You know, tin pot dictator governors who shut down borders and you know didn't allow people to go to work or school, and and they're relinquishing their authority even as the virus itself as all do, is just petering out. Like by definition, the weak caught it, sadly passed on, and the each, each successive iteration is a weaker version. Um, you know, we got, I got my shot just because I have to travel and some of the countries I'm going to require proof of vaccination. Um, I had a terrible reaction to it, as my doctor told me, that means you already had it. Like you had the virus, you didn't notice, which for someone in my age bracket and who's generally healthy, had a 99.97% recovery rate anyway. So I caught it. Didn't know I had it. Or maybe, you know, I was irritable for a day, but that's not new. Uh, and so now I've got to take this vaccine, which doesn't improve my 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 chance of surviving because I already have. And so the whole world is going through this bizarre kabuki theater of I get this jab in my arm and I have my little piece of paper and uh but anyway. Well, look forward to seeing you soon. And thank you so much for coming on. Um We'll, we'll wrap it here. Hopefully, if you have something else to, to talk about that you've missed, you're always welcome back. Um, but any, any final word? Any final word for our listeners?
1: Thank you for listening to me ramble on very incoherently about South African politics and policy. Um, it's cool to be on the receiving end of an interview. Um, it's, it's fun. It's been really cool talking to you. So thank you.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, and for everyone else, you know, remember to uh, turn out, turn turn off the news because they're lying to you constantly, uh, and tune into Messy Times. So, Kyra, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk soon.